edition of the Torah Teachers Roundtable with your host Ray Harrison, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call, where, as always, we continue to hope that you'll find this program educational and interesting and rewarding, but above all, you'll take that lesson from the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself, see if these things be true. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh edition. And uh, we are working our way, as you probably know, through the book of Yeshayahu or Isaiah. Got Ray Harrison online with me, and I hope we have Mark Patron. His picture's up there, but I haven't been able to hear him talk, so I'm not sure if his microphone's working yet or not. So um, anyway, we are uh, in Chapter 25. We'll pick it up there in just a second, but I will go to Mark first and just ask him, uh, can we hear you and say howdy? Are you able to, Mark? Oh, sure. I believe I can. Okay, Am good. I talking to you? Yep, I'm hearing you. That's good. All right, All right. good deal. Wonderful. Well, with that on in, on the table, let's go ahead and go to Ray and say howdy, Ray. And uh, I'll I'll turn to you first today and let you pick it up. We are somewhere in the beginning of Chapter 25. We've read the few, first few verses, but uh, if you'd like to, just kind of take us where you'd like by way of summary, and then we'll talk about the rest of it. This is basically um, a kind of a different focus in terms of praise to Yah than what we've seen in the last couple chapters. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, hello to everybody out there. Uh, well, since you handed it over to me, I would just uh, maybe bring the audience back up to, to speed here, uh, starting at the top of Isaiah 25, that we notice here that this is, uh, we, we begin a great section of deliverance and hope for the people of Israel. Uh, uh, the, the language that we see uh, in 25.1, talking about how the, I will exalt you and praise your name, and you've done wonderful things, and we, we see a song here that echoes many of the songs uh, that have happened in Scripture, especially at the crossing of the Red Sea and, and different things, that there's a, a great salvation that's uh, uh, being brought forth and, and all that. And then uh, as we get to our, our text today that Mark will soon read to you, starting in verse 6, then it talks in uh, verse 6 about being uh, on the mountain of the Lord. And uh, uh, when we get there, I've got a uh, a few, uh, uh, a few similes to show, and a few places in Scripture to go along with it. But I'll, I'll maybe turn it back over to Mark and let him, uh, let him read some from the Scriptures, and then we'll make comments. Okay, that sounds fine. I'll go ahead and do that, and then we'll go back to Mark. So yep. uh, in chapter twenty-five, again, we read the first few verses. Um, so um, let me let me kind of summarize this too. Uh, oh, Yahuwah, you're my El. I will exalt you. I'll praise your name for you've done wonderful things or done wonders. Another way to, to translate it. 
and your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It'll never be rebuilt. And he goes on to say that um, all these things will happen. Um, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the uh, needy in his distress. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And then in verse 6, we'll pick it up with this one. And in this mountain, Yahuwah Zebuah will make for all people a feast of choice pieces. A feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the evil that is spread over all nations. Now, let's pause there because that's kind of a fascinating setup. There's more to it. But uh, several things kind of leap out at me. The fat things full of marrow. Now, remember, fat things itself, we're not supposed to eat the fat specifically, but it looks like marbling is okay, and it's a blessing, and uh, especially um, these fat things full of marrow, and the bone marrow, of course, is... Uh, uh, interesting because it contains, or at least it's the place where the blood is created. Life is in the blood. We're not supposed to eat the blood. But this sounds like a um, a positive thing. And um, well-refined wines and the things that he's going to do to destroy the surface of the covering cast over all people. And again, certain things that I see in the news and uh, in the skies and the way of uh, chemtrails and so forth almost leap off the page when you read some of that. So go ahead, Ray. Uh, well, uh, uh, just, just a couple of things. You made comments about fat and wine and all of that. I'll go to those before I hit a couple of scripture verses. Uh, you're exactly right. We are commanded not to eat the fat, but it's a very specific type of fat. The cow fat that, that is along the, the lobes of the liver and the kidneys, uh, the, uh, internal fat that's in, in any, for any of you that have ever, uh, hunted or butchered animals and all that, you know that there are some very hard kinds of fat that covers the organ meats. Those are the things that, that uh, Yehovah reserves for himself. Those are the kinds of fat we're not supposed to eat. The intermuscular fat and the, uh, what we would call marbling are, are, not, uh, are not the ones that we're supposed to worry about. And In fact, um, many of the Iron Age people, fat was a prized thing because of the, the uh, rich uh, uh, calorie Exactly. Content that it yeah. had, and and also the uh, uh, minerals and, and those sorts of things. I, just what I what jumps out at me here in six and seven is this is a banquet that that the Lord is is uh, inviting the people uh, to do, and it's not just the elders. Uh, remember when Moses goes up on the mountain, and I'm going to try and get back there. He goes up uh, on the uh, 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 mountain in, uh, oh, let's see, what have I done to myself here? Well, uh, anyway, he's... Uh, you did it to yourself, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I did something uh, to my computer, but I'll, get, I'll work my way back. I'll have to do it by memory. But in uh, Exodus 24, and I think it's 11, uh, he, uh, uh, Moses it, it goes up. Uh, the mountain uh, again to uh, to get the ten uh, ten tablets and all that and and the elders are permitted to follow him part of the way and and he goes about halfway up and and he and uh, uh, Joshua as I recall and Aaron I believe the three of them go further up the mountain but the elders are allowed to to be halfway up and it says that they dine and drink in other words they're they're enjoying a feast with uh, uh, with the Lord there. Uh, and uh, in Zechariah, where is it? Uh, eight. Uh, 
Zechariah 8. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm inverted. I'm in the wrong place. Well, I'll tell you, this just... What the heck? Here we are. Zechariah 8, 3. Uh, it talks and it says, thus says the uh, Yehovah, I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of Yehovah hosts the, the holy mountain. And in Revelation 19.9, we get, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Uh, and so the, the language that, that I see here in 20, uh, 25.6 uh, strikes me as being very reminiscent about that. But the one thing that's different here is this kind of uh, feast that's sealing the covenant because death has been swallowed up. That's the, the topic of this chapter. Uh, that uh, that uh, that it's not just a representational banquet where the elders get to go and sit in for the whole nation. Here he says, everybody, for all the peoples. So he makes a... a, a uh, he makes a banquet for all the peoples to to partake. So it's a it's a, a national uh, revelation uh, of all of this, and and later on he t- um, he talks about that. So that that's kind of my kind of my take on that. Okay, very good, Mark. You want to add anything or just continue? What's your t- pleasure today? I'm uh, I'm ready to move on from verse five if you'd like. Okay. Well, I read through verse, um, okay. I read a couple well, of verses beyond that, through a verse eight or so, if you want to comment on it. Okay. End of seven, oh, actually. actually. Let me, uh, let me jump on it. I'm, I'm going to start with verse six, because I, I commented through verse five last week. Um, anyway, six through nine is, is where we're, we're at here. And in this mountain shall Yatsevaot make all, unto all people a feast of fat things. A feast of vines and on leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of wines and lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. But he will swallow up death in victory, and Yah Elohim will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of the people shall he take away from off all the earth, for Yah hath spoken. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this Eloheinu, we have waited for him, and will, and he will save us. This Yah, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Azamra has this Amen. on verse 6. Um, verse 6 specifically refers to the, uh, verse 6 and following, I should say, refers to the overthrow of the nation armies of Gog and Magog when they gather to campaign against Jerusalem. The nations will not ex- uh, will come expecting that Jerusalem will be in as easy to conquer as oil and bone marrow, but the oil and bone marrow will turn into pure lees and waste, according to Rashi, Metzodas David, and Radak on verse 6. Everything will turn from one extreme to the other. Okay, they're going to be coming against Israel. They're going to think they're going to be thinking that it's going to be just a, a a breeze. They're going to breeze right through these guys, and they end up getting whacked upside the head. Speaking of Rashi, here's what he has to say: And the Yatsevaot shall make for all the peoples when they come to mobilize against Jerusalem 
that's Rashi talking, okay? The feast of fat things, which they think that it will be easy for them to like fat, which is smooth and soft, will be converted for them to a feast of dregs. And then fat things full of marrow, soft and fat like the marrow of bones, will be the dregs well refined from any oil of wine, of liquid rather, of wine or oil, for there will be there only the dregs. All this will be in the war of Gog and Magog. You all know that I think we are pretty close to this Gog-U-Magog war if the Russia-Ukraine war and the Hamas-Israel war aren't the beginning of it. I think they may be, and only time will certainly tell us. Now, Azamra has this comment on verse Okay, 10. hey, Mark, uh, pause just a second. Go ahead. Quick, brief, brief question here. So do you believe, uh, and I'm just wanting to clarify this, because you reference, of course, and believe they do a lot, Gog Magog War. Um, is that equivalent to, equal to, are we talking the same thing as what people would refer to as World War III? Or do, you, do you see it as different, or can you, can you outline any, any distinction there? I believe, I believe that the Gog Magog War will be started by, uh, it, it literally and truly is Russia and Ukraine. I think that that's the beginning of it. What's going on right now? So it may or That's may not be beginning. equivalent to World War Three. I believe that it will end up being taking us to World War Three. Yes, I okay. think it will. But not necessarily. Okay. When you, now, you're making a distinction. That's what I'm getting it's at. Not that I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, any anything else? No, that was my question. Good. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively certain that this is the beginning of it because this is where the, the armies of Gog and Magog came from, north of the Black Sea, okay, Russia and Ukraine. So this is just a reenactment of the whole thing, and it may be the, a re-beginning of that same war, just to let you know. Mm-hmm. Now, Azamra had this comment in verse 7. They said, and he will destroy in this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people, and the veil that is cast over all the nations. That's verse 7. Targum explains that the cover and the veil that are cast over all the nations refer to their leader and ruler, who until his overthrow covered them protectively like a seemingly benevolent world dictator. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Radak uh, brings an explanation in the, uh, the name of his father that the covering, that is Lot, um, alludes to the people who cover their faces, reminiscent of uh, masked Islamic terrorist possibility. Mm. And he, in verse 7, refers to the last three-person singular noun, third-person, rather, singular noun, which we saw in verse 6 is Yah. He will destroy in this mountain, that is in Moriah, the face of the covering that is cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all Nations, again, all nations, it says. This is a world war, quite literally. Do you think this might be the final battle, as seen in Revelation 19 and 20? We have had, in the last 110 years, two of what we call world wars. But they ain't nothing in comparison to the one we're seeing right here today. This world war will will make numbers one and two look like a piano recital. I'm sure most of you have seen Tucker Carlson's two-plus-hour interview of Vlad Putin 
Okay? Putin does not want to have a World War III. He knows what that will mean. Unfortunately, we can't be as sure of the present occupant of the Oval Office who knows nothing about anything. And well, he doesn't remember if he did. No I'm sorry, I missed that, Mark. He, he doesn't remember it even if he did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. The guy's a dunce. Anyway, the, and he has been for 20 years at least. The uh, new House Speaker may be better, but what does anyone except his constituents really know about him? And not many of those. So what says Rashi on verse 7? He says, the covering, the covering that covers all people, that is halot, uh, similar to the wrap, uh, to he wrapped his face in, and the behold, it is wrapped in a garment, in 1 Samuel 21.10. And the kingdom, that is vahamasecha, an expression of kingdom and ruling. Okay, Zamra opens with this comment on verse 8. And I'm going to quit with verse 8 here. Uh, Azamra, I'm sorry, he will destroy death forever. This verse, in its promise of re uh, resurrection and eternal life, is recited at Jewish funerals and is often inscribed on monuments to the dead. Radach, again, uh, that's Rabbi David Kimchi, was his name, uh, explains that in time to come, chance death, that is Misa, Nikris will disappear, but not natural death, defining chance death as the kinds of killings that Israel have endured at the hands of the nations around them during their exile. However, Rashi states that Elohim and conceal death from Israel uh, eternally, which suggests that there will be no more death of any kind for Israel. The Talmud asks how our present verse, he will destroy death forever, can be reconciled with the prophecy that a youth shall die at the age of 100 in Isaiah 65:20, answering that death will be destroyed entirely in the case of Israel, while the people of the nations will live long, but not but will eventually die. And that's from Pesachim 68a, and that's what I got on 6 and 7. If you guys want to go ahead and comment on those? To it. Okay. I, I have a, a comment, if I if I may. Please. Uh, uh, I, I'm noticing. Uh, I, I think probably the, uh, the the content of, of verse seven. What is being talked about here, and it alludes to it because we're shown it in in eight. Is this covering that is cast over all the peoples? Is the fear of death? Because in eight he talks about the fact the death will be swallowed up forever, Amen. Uh, as you as you pointed out, uh, and all of that. So so I think that's what's going on there. As far as this, uh, what's being uh, talked about here uh, up through seven, eight, nine, and all of that, I think it it very possibly could be the the Gog Magog uh, war that's spoken about in in Ezekiel. I am not convinced that the Gog Magog war is in fact what ends up being the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Oh, um, I'm not I, I think that, that uh, the Gog Magog war is pale in comparison with what we ultimately see 
happening at, at the time of Jacob's trouble. I think that's far worse because uh, it, it, language here, it's talking about things are going to be swallowed up forever and, 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 and all of this, and this is for all the nations. I think the nations come to a, a real revelation of who the God of Israel is and what he can do and who his people are. But then, uh, I, I think we, I think there are, uh, events that, that, that yet transpire past that. And that may be, that may be my time frame on it and that may or may not be correct. But at least, um, for my way of thinking, if there's anything that would, uh, embolden the, the Jewish people to build the third temple, it would be the victory of the Gog Magog war. Oh, because the entire world, they would say, God is with us. Who can be against us? And they will just, they'll, they'll bulldoze the, uh, the golden pimple up there and, and, and it'll, it'll be gone. But, you know, that's, that's just my, my, my thinking on it. I, I don't know that it's true. Okay. Well, and I will understand that I, I agree with you with respect to the, <laughs> oh, we doubled, Mark. Go ahead. Including <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, Mark. You're you're kind of faint. Uh, I didn't hear MP either, so it won't be on the recording. Um, what did you say, Mark? We doubled. I'm oh, I I just said you know the, the the I'm not certain about all this stuff myself. I just I, it just fits in my brain, and you know my brain has been smashed a couple of times, so <laughs> I may be completely off base. Okay. So yeah, all I was going to add had to do with the um, the uh, the great and terrible day of uh, of Yahuwah or the Lord, as most of the Bibles uh, that you'll see in English put it. And uh, I'm I am in agreement with Ray. I think that's a, a long time out, and that is the day in my reading where we get a a major meltdown and maybe some rewriting of the universal constants that form the uh, you know the the basic physics. But uh, that's a whole different deal than uh, something associated with a war a war among men. To, to my reading. Yeah, I think certainly there, yeah, there, there may be, there may be some warring going on at that time and all of that, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I see those as being two, two separate, uh, two separate events, yeah. Okay. All right. Are we ready to continue then? Okay. Uh, read on through from verse eight? Because there's, there's a verse here, this next, this sure. next line is one that, uh, I'll introduce it by saying, hmm, uh, this certainly sounds like it's further out in time and, and not on the immediate horizon. And I'm not sure that I would say this would comport with the, gore, the Gog Magog war thing, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what Mark has to say. Anyway, it says, he, meaning Yah, will swallow up death forever. And Yahuwah Eloheka will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from Kol Haaretz, all the earth, for Yahuwah has spoken. So um, let's let's pause there because then we're going to see what's going to also happen in that day. Mark, let me go to you first. Okay, uh, we got about a minute and a half, so let's go. Um, verse eight, uh, he refers back to Yatzevaot in verse six, verse six, swallowing up death and victory as he Adonai Yehovi wipes away number one tears from our faces and number two our rebukes away from the earth. So there will be no reminder of them left on the earth. And how do we know that this will happen? Because three, 
Yah has spoken it, and all that he speaks comes immediately to pass. No passing go. Rashi has this to say on verse 8. He has concealed death. He will cover it and hide it forever from Israel. That's according to Rashi. I could be wrong, and he could be wrong, but I kind of doubt it on this particular case. And that would be, by the way, us. Azamra has this comment on verse 9. Have we read verse 9? I don't think we have. No, I didn't. I stopped. I'm going to quit there. <laughs> okay, Ray. We're about at the end of the uh, half hour anyway. Yeah, we got about 30 seconds. If he wants to just take us into the break. Uh, just, just again, as I said, uh, this this kind of language that we we are hearing here is uh, th- this is this is stuff out of Revelation 2014 and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire uh, and 21 uh, 4 and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will exactly. be no more neither I shall they so okay well, well that'll take us to the break we'll pick up with Revelation after that don't take me soon cause I am here for Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday it'll all turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. There'll be no This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh Edition and the book of Isaiah, now chapter 25, where uh, at the bottom of the hour we interrupted Ray. He was about ready to comment on the next few verses in chapter 25, then we'll finish it up probably in this segment. So go ahead, Ray. I just wanted to say I had uh, uh, cited a couple of examples of other places in Scripture, especially so in uh, in Revelation where it's, where it's talking about uh, tears being wiped away from all faces and, and, uh, you know, that, that uh, death has been swallowed up in victory and, 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 and all of that. And those are pretty final things. But I just remind our listeners that, that with, uh, uh, with Isaiah throughout this whole book up, up to this point, he gives us these pictures that are near fulfillments and, and you see very specific things that were near, near to him and, uh, to, uh, Judah at that time and Israel at that time and those sorts of things. But he has this far distant vision of the future as well. So he's, he's seeing things close to them in their time. But I think he also sees clear out to the, the far mountains that are in the distance and, and seeing that. So we get this curious mixture of things that, 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 that could be said to be, oh, well, this is thus and such war. Or this is Gog and Magog. This is this, that, the other thing. But he's also looking 
towards the the complete end as well. And I and it's just one of those things. It's what makes this book uh, befuddling at times, but also really really uh, wonderful to study too. Is there's this mixture of uh, of well, yeah, it's for our time now, but there's but we've got this great hope way out in the future as well. So I think that's that's part of what we're we're seeing in these last couple of verses that he's looking way out in the distance. I agree. Well, and of course, one of my ways of saying that is that uh, the universe is based on cycles and all of his equations and everything else literally is is uh, kind of nerdy, but it's, uh, it's a, comp- a, a constant repetition of, of cycles and cycles within cycles, and I think we see that in prophecy as well. And uh, this, is a, this is a great way to look at it. I uh, agree 100%. All right, Mark. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ray. If you had more. I'm done. All right. Okay. MP. Ready to go? Okay. The uh, first word in verse 8 is he. (laughs) Guess who that refers to? It refers us back to Yatsevaot in verse 6, swallowing up death and victory. As he, Adonai Yehovi, wipes away, number one, tears from our faces. Number two, our rebukes away from the earth, so there will be no reminder of them left on the earth. And how do we know that this will happen? Because three, Yah has spoken it, and all that he speaks comes immediately to pass. No passing go. Rashi has this to say on verse 8. Well, not necessarily immediately, I might add, but... I'm sorry, what did you say, Mark? Not always immediately, but certainly eventually, in his good time. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, it is, as far as he's concerned, it's immediate. Well, <laughs> okay. okay. As far as we're concerned, there could be a couple hundred thousand years. Of it. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> he's everywhere and everywhere all at once. So, anyway... Uh, uh, no passing go. Rashi has this to say on verse 8. He says, He concealed death. He will cover it and hide it forever from Israel. And that would be us. Okay? Azamra has this comment on verse 9. And it shall be said on that day, Behold our Elohim, this, that is Zeh, this is the one in whom we hoped, and he has saved us. This that is, Zay, again, is Hashem for whom we hoped. Let us rejoice and exult in his salvation. In verse 9, it is not unusual when using the word, the word this, that is, Zay, to point in the direction to the person or thing that to, uh, to which he's referring. Rabbi Elazar said, In time to come, the Holy One, blessed be he, will make a dance circle of the Tzadikim, and he will sit among them in the Garden of Eden, and each and every one will point with his finger, saying, Behold our Elohim, this, Zay, is the one in whom we hoped. That's in a book called Ta'anis 31a. I'm not sure exactly where that is. I've never seen it myself. Anyway, <clears throat> the finger of each Tzadik alludes to his perception of Elohim. Now, verse 9, have we read verse 9? I think we have. No, I stopped there. If my thinking is correct. I'm sorry? No, we haven't read verse 9. We stopped there because it says, and it will be in that day. So we'll we'll pick it up there next when we're ready. Okay. 
Okay. If you're ready, In we'll go case, there. You want to read it? Shoot me down, Ray. Go ahead and read it. You're there. Okay. So it, it will be said in that day, behold, this is our L. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is Yahuwah. Now, this is another one of those places where I'm going to point out, no, it doesn't say this is the Lord. It says this is Yahuwah. And we've waited for him. And we then know Correct. that there's a difference between various fake gods. And I have a strong suspicion by this time we're going to see a lot of them. We're going to see them exposed. So we have waited for him. And we will be glad and rejoice in, and this is an interesting word, Yeshua To. So his, we recognize the root word there, his salvation. Yep. All right. Um, and now I'll go to you, Mark. Yep. You've been wanting to go there for a while. Okay. All right. Uh, it's, it's a short two paragraphs. In uh, verse 9, if my thinking is correct, which is not a given, okay, that this all occurs immediately in the Olam Haba. We will collectively vocalize in that day, and probably in unison while pointing, look, he is Eloheinu, whom we have so long awaited. He will deliver us. This is Yah, for whom we have waited. We will gladly rejoice in Yehoshua. Yes, the word that Stones to Knock perfectly translated into English is, as in his salvation, is be Yeshua to. How Israel's Rebetzin can't miss it or ignore it is just beyond me. It suggests willful ignorance. Even the translation in Sephirah, my source for the Rashi quotes, says in its translation and comment, uh, we hoped for him that he would save us. We were hoping for him that he would save us. Okay? Um, sorry, but that sounds to me like Sephirah knows, or at least hoped for, the truth. But in accord with the traditions of the elders, willfully denies it. And that's what I got through verse 9. Willfully tonight, you're referring to the fact that the root word for salvation is in there, and it appears in a number of places where it says, uh, you know, yes, famously Moshe, prior to the parting of of the Red Sea, says, hey, hey, sit still, hang on here, guys, and come and see the the um, the salvation of Yah, which is literally the same word. Salvation. Salvation, yep. Absolutely. And each one of them really and truly does point to Yeshua, okay, and his work. At least in, in my own personal opinion, I think that that's the case. Yah in Yeshua is the one that does all of that stuff. Okay, Ray, you're... Okay. So, I'm good through verse 9. Uh, just just one, uh, one, one thing on, uh, on verse number 9. It, it seems that this is one of those places, uh, a, a moment of arrival, if you will. It's there, there at last, you know, they're face-to-face. With uh, with God in Zion, uh, it's it's you, you can almost as uh, MP was pointing out, they're surely pointing at one another, uh, saying, "Surely, look, this, this one, this is the one, Yahweh, Yehovah, this is our God." And uh, and it's one of those things. The work of uh, of salvation has been done, and it's all been done by Him. There was no human action, cooperative or contribution that was needed. All they needed to do was to wait and to trust uh, and, uh, and have confidence in him, and they would be delivered. So amen, amen, amen. Praise, praise God for that.
<laughs> okay. Very good. Um, okay. Are we ready to continue then? There's only a few verses left. I'll read to the end of the chapter. For on this mountain the hand of Yehul will rest, and Moab shall be trampled down under him. So Moab's had kind of a rough time the last few chapters here. As straw is uh, trampled down for the refuse heap, and he will spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim, and he will bring down their pride together with their trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay it low, and will bring it to the ground down to the dust. And honestly, to my mind, guys, that that seems pretty straightforward. It's just a question of uh, when and um, uh, how will we recognize it when it's happened or has it happened already? And, and if so, certainly we know that we're going to see it again. At least that would be my take on it. All right, Ray, I'll go to you this time. Well, I guess the, the conclusion, the concluding section of this article that we're, we're reading right now re- returns, of course, it, it's still the theme of joy in the Lord and salvation and all that, but there's kind of the darker reality uh, there as well is there are those people whose pride brings them under condemnation, and and those people are are subject to overthrow. Uh, you know, even though this is a a generally joyful thing for for mankind and all that, there will be those who, uh, due to reasons of their own pride and arrogance and willfulness. Will, will have been brought low in this process to get there. And I think that's the, the, the reference, uh, Moab gets to be the poster child this time for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark? All right. Yeah. I got about a page of uh, notes on 10 through 12, so here we go. Uh, Azamra opens on verse 10. And this is a pretty long quote. Uh, for this, in this mountain shall the hand of Hashem rest, and Moab will be trodden down in his own place. That's verse 10. This verse implies that Elohim's overthrow of the armies of Gog and Magog will take place at Mount Zion, while the Moabites will be overthrown in their own country. Radak, on verse 10, explains that today the nations are mixed up and it is impossible to know which is Ammon, which is Moab, which is Edom, and etc. And this will also be the case at the time of the Gog and Magog War. Uh, I got something going on here. Anyway, ignore it. Uh, <laughs> the Gog and Magog War. Um, while these three nations will be saved from the hand of the king of the north in Daniel 11.21, they will not escape from the hand of Yah. That's bugging the heck out of me. Um, lost my place. Now, they will not escape from the hand of Yah in the war of Gog and Magog. For even though they were unrecognizable and mixed up with one another, it is possible that certain known families uh, among the nations uh, come from these specific peoples. It is also possible that the prophet gives the name Edom to those who dwell in the land of Edom, and the name Moab to those who dwell in the land of Moab. The reason why he mentions Moab here is because Moab will aid the nations coming from the north to attack uh, Jerusalem together with Gog and Magog. Being close neighbors of the land of Israel, the Moabite, Moabi, the Moabites, uh, will uh, help the oncoming armies by preparing roads 
that they will give them uh, their support. And this is why Moab is mentioned specifically. That's according to Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi, on verse 10. Now here's Mark. Who was Ray talking about? Expose. Okay. Uh, Azamra seems to rely a lot on Radak, Rav David Kimchi, a 13th century exegete, while Radak relies a lot on Rashi, an 11th century uh, French Midrashic interpreter, as I am beginning to do since I found a good source and generally like his insights. Anyway, speaking of Rashi, here are his insights on verses 10 through 12, possibly interspersed with so-called insights of my own. In verse 10, for the hand of Yah, uh, Yehovah, the hand of the Lord, shall rest, the might of the omnipresent, omnipresent shall rest. The Lord here names Yudhe not Adonai Elohim. And exactly who is the hand of Yah, if not Mashiach Yeshua, the one who personifies Yah to Beit Israel. And it is he who will bring Moab down and bring him into the dust of the earth, as straw is ground into dunghill. The word that KJV translates as trodden down is the Hebrew 1758, dush, dosh or dish, it depends on how they vowel point, to to trample or tread down for a pile of waste. Okay, that's H4087, uh, madman, believe it or not, madmana, from dunghills is what that that says. From the Hebrew 1824, uh, daman, which is dunghill, where you shovel all the human or the animal feces, two or four-legged, for fertilizer. Now, who is the subject of verses 11 and 12? And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth to swim, and he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. The last third person singular word we see is him, referring to Adonai, Yudhevave. Verse 11 and 12 are speaking about what Yah is going to do about Moab. Yah is going to bring down their pride and the spoil of their hands, which tells me that Yah has had it, as my Ma would used to say, up to here, while gesturing to her throat, like she was about to vomit, which is what Yah is thinking about doing, vomiting out Moab into the pits of hell. Now, it's interesting that the KJV translates the Hebrew 7811, Saha as swimmer. When Rashi interprets the passage as, he shall break his hands and his arms by clapping his hands in weeping. It sounds like the swimmer, that is Yah's adversaries, is like Rev Tevya in Fiddler, when he was playing to, uh, praying rather to Elohim over his physical, familial, and spiritual circumstances, clapping his hands as hard as he can to get Yah's attention. But Israel is not hearing Yah's warnings. Where KJV says, He shall bring down, lowering down to the dust, all of their own, vaunted, man-made defenses, Moab thinks they can overcome whatever Yah can bring against them because their Elohim is greater than Israel's Yah. Moab doesn't realize that it is Yah who is using them to get Yehuda's attention so that they will turn back to him. But Yehuda is too full of P and V, that's pride and vinegar, 
to understand that Moab is Yah's tool to bring retributive justice against them. Yehuda thinks that they are all that and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos when they are, in fact, not even the bag, much less the Doritos. So that's what I got for the end of this, through the end of this chapter. Let me find that right. noise. Okay, yeah, fix, you fix that. We'll go to Ray. <laughs> Sounds like you're arming the warheads. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, again, I, I come I come back to the to the statement that uh, that I made before that during all of this that there there are some some of the nations on the earth that will be because of the choices that they've made uh, because of their self pride and and their also their their self made security I guess it's well we don't need God we, we we can take care of ourselves we we can do this that and there's a there's a lot of that. Uh, uh, feeling, uh, unfortunately, among the brethren who are who are preparing themselves for harsh times ahead, which is a smart thing to do, but it only goes so far. Um, I mean, the Lord is going to be the one that will see us through. The Lord is going to be the one that will will <clears throat> help us through, uh, and, and all that. There's no amount of of preparation that we can make that's going to push us across the finish line. Um, Perhaps we're getting urges from him to, uh, you know, to take care and prepare and do certain things and all that. Ultimately, it's going to be our, our faith and us putting our faith in him to, to see us through that, that will get us through. And I think that's part of what's happening here with, uh, with, with Moab. He's saying, you know what? Despite your high fortifications and all that stuff, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring that all to the ground. You know, you, you, it's just, you, you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength and your own might. So, all right, uh, Mark. Anything else to add, or should we go ahead and um, continue into chapter twenty-six? We got let's about. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read the first three verses anyway of chapter twenty-six. Okay. Um, how about okay. the first five? That's where I was planning on stopping. Or six. In that day, another one of those, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Yehuda. We have a strong city. Elohim will appoint salvation, there's that word again, for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. And I'm going to pause and come back to that in a second. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you, trust in Yahuwah forever. For in Yah, and that's one of the few places, the psalm is another, where you'll see it used that way, Yahuwah is everlasting strength. So uh, uh, I'll pause, well I will, I'll go ahead and pause at the end of verse 4, MP, because I want to make one comment, then I'll go to you. This this word here in verse 2, open the gates, that the righteous nation, and I'm not sure I like that rendering, it, it really is a Goy Zadik. And of course we know that a Zadik is one who story, studies Torah or understands his instruction, uh, and, and that reference there, righteousness, right. always has to do with his instruction and what he lays down for us. But the word Goy and and um, it's not plural in this case, so it could, in fact, be the righteous individual which keeps the truth may enter in. And that's that's the main thing that I wanted to point out there. All right, go, go ahead, Mark. Very cool. Okay, verses 1 to 3. Uh, and I'm not going to get through this, but uh, let's go. I open with a genre on verse 1. They say, on that day 
shall this song be sung in the land of Yehuda. Just as Israel sang to Eloah after the miraculous overthrow of the Egyptians into the waters of the Red Sea in Exodus 15, and just as Deborah sang after the miraculous defeat of Sisera and his armies in Judges 5, so that Zadokim, who survived the war of Gog and Magog, will sing the song and prayer of Elohim contained in our present chapter. The city is our strength, in verse 1. Having put their faith in Eloah's promise to dwell in his eternal city in the end of days, the Tzadikim will praise him for saving them in the merit of their faith and commitment to Yerushalayim. Can't find that thing anywhere. Anyway, <clears throat> there will not be many survivors of the Gog-Mogog War, which I believe has been underway for a few years in, in its infancy in the Russia-Ukraine War. But there will be some who will be the Adam and Chava, as it were, in the new creation, which I choose to believe will have only habitable planets, in my not-so-humble opinion. Yah will work it out that every planet will be habitable as only he can. Rashi has this. The city that was our strength, salvation, shall he place. The city of Jerusalem, which was always our strength, from time immemorial, the Savior shall place salvation. Okay, well, there's a break. So we'll uh, pick it up with the salvation after this. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something Sometimes I lie under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. I know All right, we are back, folks, and I think, I guess, uh, I got the word that uh, we, Mark wasn't quite finished when we went to break, so um, this is the Tor Teachers Roundtable, Chapter 26 at this point of the Book of Isaiah. And um, some things that are going to happen in uh, in a time a time to come. Uh, go ahead, Mark. All right. I'm not exactly sure where I quit, but I'm going to start at verse two. Uh, <laughs> not a phone. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. All the capital cities. Uh, and many of the, uh, wait a minute, am, am I in the right place? Yes. And many of the large population centers had bulwarks uh, to which the gen pop could retreat and at least save their lives, if not their crops and livestock. Of course, they would have also had to uh, help defend the city whose walls they were trusting in. So here's Azamra on verse 2. 
<clears throat> open the gates that the prison nation, a righteous nation that keeps faithfulness, that is Shomer Emunim, may enter in, in verse 2. The Talmud Darshans, that's an interesting word. Darshans means to uh, derive, for, it derives from Darash, and it means to expound or expand. The Talmud Darshans, everyone who answers Amen with all his strength has the gates of garden, the Garden of Eden opened for him. Read the word, not as Emunim, but Amenim. He, the guards, Shomer, and Amens, Amenim, shall enter. That's according to Shabbos 119b. Now, all who are after Yah's heart will retreat to the city population center to help defend it and the people from the enemy. Rashi has this on verse 2. Open the gates, in other words, open her gates, and let the righteous nation that waited and longed for its exile many days for the faith of the Holy One, blessed be he, that he fulfill his promise through his prophets to redeem them. Uh, compare Genesis 37:11, And his father awaited, that is, shamard, the matter. Similarly, in De- Deuteronomy 7:12, And Yah Eloheinu shall await, that is, um, Reshami, Shamar, I'm sorry, Reshamar, which means to save or to protect the covenant for you. And then he adds on verse 3, the creature that relied on the Holy One, blessed be he, and pretended on him, I'm sorry, depended on him steadfastly, that did not deviate from his faith because of any fear or torture, he, you, shall guard that there be peace, for he trusted in you. It is therefore fitting for you to guard him. All those yous are referring to Yah, providing the protection of the city walls for the outlying farmers to retreat to in time of need in exchange for the farmers' help in defending the city walls. That is absolutely amazing. That's what he's going to do. Um, That's what I see on verses 1 through 3. Okay. Go ahead, Ray. Hello. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Interesting here, we were talking about, uh, you had made mention of the uh, the, the, the Sadiq Goy, uh, and, 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 and all that sort of thing. Uh, uh, to me, th- th- what, what's being said here is, uh, th- there, there are a couple of things. So opening the, the gates, I, I get this, uh, picture of a, uh, oh, a, uh, uh, a kind of a, a, a liturg- a liturgical entrance, if you will, a great procession of people in, into the, into the holy city. Uh, and, and we have to keep, uh, bear in mind, I think, uh, and gratefully so, that, um, that the, the, uh, the, uh, that are all, all are invited to join in, in with this nation. And that means those of us who are Zadik Goys, who are studying the Torah, who are attempting, uh, to walk in that, uh, walk in that life of faith and all that, that, uh, that allows us that allows us entrance through that gate, through that great liturgy into the into the city. We are we are welcome to enter in as Amen. we don't have to be a physical descendant of Abraham to be able to to get in that parade and 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 get there. 
And uh, again, he goes on to say that, you know, you, you keep uh, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on yours be on you because he trusts in you. In other words, you know, the, these are the things that you need to do to make that uh, <laughs> to make that happen. And then finally, uh, in verse four, trusting in, uh, uh, in Yehovah forever for uh, in my Hebrew, we have Yah Yehovah is an everlasting rock. And again, uh, the um, the references uh, being made there, uh, we see in the Song of Moses in uh, Deuteronomy 32, where it says, uh, 32 verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect, for uh, all his ways are justice. God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. So, um, anyway... He's he's humbled the the inhabitants of the. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going on. Uh, anyway, uh, I just see this as a, a, a gratefully as an invitation to all who are willing to to uh, to uh, study the Torah and willing to take the good advice that it gives and put our trust and our faith in Him and keep our minds and our eyes on Him. We are welcome to join that great procession. So that's that's a. That's uh, that's some good news. I mean, it is. Uh, Mark, you want to add anything? You ready to move on? Uh, how, no. How far have we read? We've read through four. Through four. Okay. If you'll re- read through six, that'd be good. Okay. Four. He brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. You want to stop there, Mark? In in that case, go ahead. That's okay by me. Go ahead. Okay. Something happens in verse 4 that is kind of rare. Yah uses, repeats his covenant name three times in one rather short verse and repeats himself as to the duration of the command given. To repeat and remember our forever, I'm sorry, our former third voice, Rob Miller, forever, okay? COVID took him, by the way, and and I'm missing, like, really. Anyway, that word that KJV translates everlasting is H5769. In the plural, it's olamim, gutturalizing and swallowing the O, so it's olamim, okay? Um, here's Rashi on verse 4. For in Yah, the Lord, for we must rely on him, for he is the, is the fear of God, the rock and everlasting shelter. Of whom do you suppose Rashi speaks? Did I hear somebody say Mashiach? <laughs> Give that guy a cookie. Here's a Zamra on verse 4. Trust in Hashem forever, for Adonai Yah, is the eternal rock. That's in verse 4. Because of its great importance as an affirmation of trust, this verse is included among those recited in the daily prayer service after the Kedushah Desidra, um, following the, re- the repetition of the Amidah and the Ashrei. The divine name, here rendered as the Lord, is the two-letter name spelled yod Hey. The Talmud explains that the Yod alludes to the world to come, while the He alludes to this world. 
stating that whoever puts his trust in the Holy One, blessed be he, will have his protection in this world and in the world to come. That according to Menachot, chapter 29b. Now Rashi has this on verse 5. The inhabitants of the high places, Tyre and other lands, manuscripts yield Tyre, Rome, and Italy, believe it or not. Azamra has this on verses 5 and 6. Our study today of Israel's future song of faith and trust, as contained in our present chapter, is intended to inculcate the same faith and trust in ourselves as in our dear ones, and in our dear ones, rather, children and students in preparation for the coming trials of the War of Gog and Magog, whenever this may come. This is the song that we read already, read already now, how God would bring down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, in other words, the strongholds of the nations, in verse 5, and how the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy shall trample it down, in verse 6. The poor refers to Melech HaMashiach, who is a poor man riding on a donkey. Do you remember Yeshua riding on a donkey? He was a poor man. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 talks about that too. While the needy refers to Israel, who are needy until now. Rashi on verse 6 of our present chapter. And this is what the gospel of Yahu says about Mashiach Yeshua. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were, were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Yeshua two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose and bring to me, both of them. And in any, if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, Yah hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and the colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Yeshua commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Yah. Hosanna in the highest. Of course, Yeshua knew the prophecy, having been there both when he, as Yah, spoke the words to Yeshayahu, and when Yah Yeshua fulfilled them in time and possibly simultaneously. Because, you know, he can be anywhere and any when that he wants to be. Here's Rashi on Yeshua, Yeshayahu, chapter 26 and verses 6 to 7. The feet of a poor man, the King Mashiach, who is referred to as a poor man riding on a donkey in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The souls of the impoverished Israel, who are heretofore impoverished. The Yeshua's, and Yeshua's disciples did as they were told to do. And I think knowing that they were fulfilling our passage for today. Fulfilled prophecy is too cool because it can repeat its fulfillment as Yah sees fit. This particular fulfillment of this prophecy given 3,000 years ago are soon to be fulfilled again. That's what I got through verse 6. All right.
Go ahead, right? Um, I don't know that I have a whole lot to to, to add to that. Uh, uh, to be quite honest with you, oh, I ahead, think man. that that's covered it pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that too. So let's let's go ahead then, and because this is going to continue with this idea of righteousness and justice and so forth, the way of the just it says in verse seven is uprightness. Oh, most upright! Now the King James capitalizes it. You weigh the New King James anyway. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgment, O oh, Yahuwah, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night, yea, with my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in Haaretz, the uh, earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn um, zodicness, righteousness. All right, let's go to you on this one. Has that enough, Ray? You want to continue on? Go ahead, MP. It sounds like you were ready. Um, yeah, let me uh, let me read verse ten too, because I'm going to cover all those, all four of those. Uh, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, will he heal unjust? Will he deal unjustly? And will not hold the majesty, behold the majesty of Yah. Okay, so Azamra has this on verses seven through ten. The blatant injustice that is rampant in today's world is an apparent contradiction to the rule of the Elohim of justice, and thus Israel prays to Elohim to keep the tzaddikim on the path of righteousness in verse seven, hoping throughout their bitter persecution during their exile, to see Elohim's righteousness vindicated when he will overthrow the wicked at the end of days, in verses 8 and following. When Elohim's judgments finally strike the earth, it teaches all its inhabitants to know and to fear him, in verse 9. Whereas, if favor is shown to the wicked, personified in the figure of Esau, he will learn, uh, I'm sorry, never learn righteousness, According to on verse eight, according to Rashi. Now speaking of Rashi, here he is on verse seven. The way of the righteous that is straight. A way that is straight for the reception of the reward of the righteousness of the righteous you, O Elohim, who are upright and upright Elohim, shall weigh the path of the righteous man to lead him in that way that he receive his reward. The righteous one is Yaakov and his descendants. We must render in this manner the straight way for the righteous man. Printed edition reads, the way of the righteous man to receive the reward for the upright deeds that he's performed. Now Rashi comments on verse 8, and and here's what it, it follows right here. O upright one, you, the holy one, blessed be he. The path of the feet of the righteous man you shall weigh that way for him. You will, you shall weigh like uh, take the height, the the width or the uh, the the, <laughs> the mass of the thing. That way for him. This weighing is an expression of contrapage uh, uh, in OF. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Anyway. You counterbalance, you equalize. 
like the king who sits and thinks and weighs in his mind, which way is better, this one or that one? So judge with equity to lead him in the way of receiving the reward for performing his deeds before you with propriety. The upright one weighs the subject's way, the path he takes to achieve his goal. One can cheat if he pleases and achieve a like result, but it will not be rewarded in the same way or at all. Yah doesn't just want it done. He wants it done so that most people benefit in his way, the way to him. Rashi continues, Even for the the way of your judgments, Adonai, have we hoped for you. When we look forward to receiving benefit from you, likewise we hoped that you would show us the way of judgments of your uh, revenge upon the wicked. Uh, manuscripts read, Un- upon the wicked Esab. Okay. Esab is, of course, the wicked son of Yitzhak, the progenitor of the Edomi, who are, almost as a single nation, still giving Yaakov Israel fits. Yaakov's and Esab's children are essentially cousins. Now, I generally get along with my Kujinos and Kujinas, okay, cousins. Uh, a short illustrative tangent follows. When I was a high school kid, one of my buddies and I skipped school one day and went to a pool hall, bowling alley, to waste the day. Well, we got into the game with a guy who we who didn't like to lose, and we both beat him soundly. He was hot and left the vicinity only to return with a friend of his, who happened to be my cousin, Dave Patron. Poor guy who lost at pool also lost when he brought his knuckle-dragger to get his money back. <laughs> it really sucked to be him that day. We Patrons stick together. Now, Dave could have whipped me handily. But blood is blood among Sicilians, all right? Unlike the sons of Yitzhak, every Christmas and Easter, etc., when we all gathered at our grandparents' house and the cousins split up essentially by age and had a great time getting in minor troubles if we could, Dave, of my Uncle Frank, Greg, of my Uncle Joe, Don, of my Uncle Carmen, and I, of Uncle Pete, that's my papa, The four of us, born in a stretch of about 18 months, rampaged the neighborhood, and a good time was had by all of us. We had a wonderful time every time we got together. That's how brothers and cousins should get along, unlike Yaakov and Esau and their umpty-ump generations of offspring. And I think had they helped each other, like families should, they would not be after each other's blood. It seems that Yaakov's kids want to make nice, but Esau's are, for the most part, jealous of Yaakov's general prosperity, and the world gets to pick sides. It's stupid, but it just is, and neither side trusts the other, and they are family. Back to verse 8. For your name and your remembrance was the desire of our soul, our, plural, singular soul longed to see the name Yah will gain from them by wreaking vengeance upon their adversaries. There was truly little or no reason for them to distrust each other, Yaakov and Esau. None at all. And I think that Yaakov would have liked to hang with Esau once in a while. But Esau had taken Israel's land for the 
for the time that they were in bondage to Egypt and considered it their own, which it had essentially been for two or three centuries or more. And when Israel returned to their Yah-given land, they had to fight for it. And Yah helped them. The Israelites all recognized that they were children of Yaakov and were brought together by their captivity and by their traveling together to their homeland under the righteous leadership of Moshe, Aaron, and Yehoshua over a period of 80 plus years. The Edomi had not one chance of defeating Israel who had just spent 40 years living hand to mouth in the Arabian desert. Circumstances like that knit people together and blood is thicker than water. That's what I got through verse 8. All right, very good. Ray, you want to... I like ready it. yet? You want to continue? Yeah, just... Uh, just talking about the path of the righteous's level uh, and, and all that. Uh, uh, at least mine says level, make straight. I, of course, I can't help but think of verses we will read later in uh, uh, in Isaiah that uh, are, are sung in the Messiah. But uh, anyway, it's interesting that the uh, that the that here that the path of the righteous. This this is the righteous who do this uh, exercise righteousness through faith, not necessarily experience. That that they are. Uh, that, that their paths are level, in other words, and it says in the path of your judgments, that's mishpat, uh, which yep. means justice, judgment, regulations, and all that. So it's referring back to 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 the the Torah. So in the path of your Torah, not doesn't say specifically Torah. It uses the word mishpat, but uh, in other words, in the path of your Torah, your judgments, oh Lord, we wait for you. In other words, uh, in, we're going to be faithful to understand that what you have ordained for us is right and good and true for us and that will make our paths uh, str- make our paths level or straight so uh, anyway that's all I have there okay well the comment that I want to make and then I'll good. read on is that uh, the, the word in the English that I read and Mark kind of um, uh, touched on this but didn't actually outline it the way I want to <clears throat> And that is that the word just appears in here a couple times as well. Turns out this all the same. Word. And we'll pick it up there after the bottom of the hour.
All right, last segment for today. Folks, we'll see whether we finish Chapter 26 or not. I think there's a pretty good chance we can do that. But in any case, as we went to break, I wanted to make a comment or two related to this this word that appears in here a number of places, and it gets translated as a couple different words in some English renderings. Sometimes it says the way of the just, and other times it says the way of righteousness or the remembrance of righteousness. And in every case, the root word there is zadik. Now, depending upon the vowel pointers, it can be righteousness or one who is is one of those things and understands his righteousness. But what's interesting is, if you go back and look and see where these root words appear, this zedek in the Hebrew, it turns out that the first few places are in Leviticus, where it says, you shall do no unrighteousness. Now, the word there is from another root, but it's very similar in judgment. Don't respect the person of the poor or, or honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness, in this Zedek thing, in an understanding of his word as written, is the way I would, would suggest we understand that, then you shall judge your neighbor. And the next place is just a few verses later where it says, just, here's that word again, but it's the same root, just balances, just weights, adjust ephah, adjust ten. In other words, uh, do not use dishonest weights and measures. They should be just. They should be in accord with my word. Ani, Yahuwah Eloheka, he signs it, if you will, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And uh, he said, I charge you at the time in Deuteronomy and in other places, um, Judge righteously between every man and his neighbor or the stranger that's with him. So in, in every place, this, this root word appears, um, and sometimes it's just, sometimes it's righteous, but in every case, it has to do with understanding his Torah. And uh, often, uh, this idea between the rich and the poor and uh, how we get there has to do with honest weights and measures and rightful standards that are consistent, regardless of, of who's doing it. In other words, part of the understanding of justice, justice, you shall pursue, and righteousness is, we need to be consistent. If we say a pound weighs this much, we don't put a heavier one on there when we're weighing out the stuff that he's going to give us. So it's a it's a really consistent pattern, I think, that's vital to understand. All right, Ray, let me go to you and just take it where you'd like. Uh, I absolutely agree with, with what you're saying, and uh, I, I notice also, again, we're, we're back uh, – uh, I'm looking at verse 8 here again, the path of your judgments uh, again and all that. We're back to this this notion of uh, of Mishpat and all that. You are back in the book of Leviticus. I'll go back there with you uh, <clears throat> into Leviticus 20:22. 20, it says, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Yep. So uh, again, it's 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 very important that uh, we we look at these things because it it what we do has a greater effect on 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 everything than just our own uh, uh, surroundings uh, and and all that. So uh, anyway, uh, and I, I that's that's all I've got at this point in time. Okay, very good. Um, Mark, right. you got anything, or you want you want us to continue on? If you'll, we have we read uh, nine and ten. I don't believe so. Well, we can do that. Uh, I read. Um, well, no, maybe we didn't read nine. It's 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 consistent and it continues the same pattern. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yet with my spirit within me, I will seek you early. I did read this. For when your judgments, your your mishpatim, are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn what they'll learn: zadikness, righteousness. Let grace yeah. be shown. I'm sorry, question? No, 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 keep going. I okay. was just agreeing with let, you. 
Let grace be shown to the wicked. And yet he will not learn righteousness. You know, I think you can show all kinds of grace to senile uh, imposters who stole elections, and I don't think they're going to learn righteousness, but that's just me. Um, he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of Yahuwah. Um, and then, again, it's uh, let's see, this is capitalized, so it's uh, Yahuwah. When your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed, he says, for their envy of people, yea, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Uh, shall we pause, or I can continue another four verses? If anybody, uh... you can you can pause there All right. for now. Yeah, that was a pause, have, Mark. Uh, I'm going to comment on verses nine and ten. Okay, now, go ahead. We all know that our soul is our inner being that gives its life for and to our bodies. Rashi has this on verse nine. With my soul, I longed for you in my exile, which resembles night to perform e, uh, these. And by the way, it, the sun just went down because the lights went out outside. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, we find, it, it's just, it's circumstances. It was really, really cool. Anyway, we find ourselves at times feeling alone, even when we are surrounded by people. What we do not understand is that we are never truly alone, since Yah is with us through all that we do. And that should keep us on the straight and narrow. But we are ensconced in flesh that doesn't have the understanding our souls and minds do. Here's, uh, even with my spirit within me, I beseeched you. I beseeched you for all of this. Why? Because when your judgments come to the earth, when you execute justice upon the wicked, okay, that's, um, Rashi. Anyway, uh, beseech means to search diligently, fervently, for a thing with the help of another party, as in, I beseech thee, Abba, for X or Y. To implore is what we're talking about. The inhabitants of the world learn justification. They learn to justify your Elohim's, your or Elohim's rather, judgment and to acknowledge your standards for they see the sinner punished and the righteous receiving a good reward. Is this always the case? No. However, if Yah grants us the spirit to perform what he asks, and he usually does, but we don't take advantage of it, we definitely can perform because he is empowering us to get her done. Okay? He's given us his spirit so that we can get it done. Rashi has this on verse 10. <clears throat> the wicked be favored who did not learn righteousness? Okay, that's all that Rashi has to say. Now, should you favor the wicked Esau who lived between two righteous men and did not learn righteousness? Esau had Yaakov and Yitzhak as righteous examples. He truly has no excuse for not being a tzaddik as his Abba and Achi. We're there with him. Okay? Now all of that in the land of uprightness. Esau had Jerusalem and the temple, but he will deal unjustly to pillage, to spoil, and destroy. And he does not see the pride of Adonai. He did not regard Yah's pride and greatness. The expression, uh, 
he shall not see is an expression of an habitual act, meaning he did not see, he did not regard, he did not understand. Compare Job 1.5. In this manner, Job was wont to do. Eov saw. Esav would not. Yeah. That's what I got through verse 10. All right. I, I, I would I would add to that, that that you're so right that it's not that he he did not see he would not see he exactly. had no desire to see and that's uh, he, the case with most of the people in the world well and, and and it's actually a subject of a lot of what we've read about today uh, as well that uh, part of we we have this uh, all this great good news and all that and yet we keep getting reminded and yet there are those who will try to do things in their own power. There are those that will not hear, will not see, will not understand. They just, they don't, they just don't care to do it for, for whatever reasons. Uh, I, I, there are a couple of words that popped out at me in, uh, in 26.9, maybe slightly off topic, but not really. But interestingly, uh, in nine, it says, at least in the ESV, it reads, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. Uh, not a bad translation, but interestingly, soul, which which in the Hebrew is nephesh. Let me read that. That's uh, let's see, what is that? Fifty-eight, eighty-three. Breath, by extension, life, life force, soul, an immaterial part of a person, the seat of emotion and desire, uh, a, a creature or a person as a whole, self, body, uh, and so on. And then yet we get down here, and now I'm going to go to the word my spirit. There we have Ruach, which is 7307, breath, wind, by extension, spirit, mind, heart, an immaterial part of a person that can correspond to, or excuse me, I misread that, an immaterial part of a person that can respond to God, the seed of life, spirit uh, being especially also the spirit of God. It's interesting here that and there there is a, in um, in Christendom right now, if I can use that term, uh, there there is a huge, huge, huge uh, uh, confusion about soul and spirit. People tend to they, they've kind of melted everything together, and soul and spirit are 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 two two very different things. And uh, I just bring that out that that here Isaiah is pointing out that there are. <laughs> that there are, in fact, two things. There is a soul that yearns for you by night. There is a spirit within me that earnestly seeks you. Um, that 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 there two two parts of that, and it's uh, good for us occasionally to kind of uh, realize that our seat of mind, our mind, our will, our emotions, our our personality, I guess, if you will, the things that make me me and not somebody else is the soul. But the spirit is an entirely different part of me that's, uh, that is, uh, eternal and, and it's the thing that can connect to God. It's the thing that the Ruach HaKodesh speaks to in me to, uh, to bring me revelation when, uh, when it, when it will, <laughs> when it does it and all that. So, uh, little bunny trail for what it's worth. All right. Very good. All right. Uh, Mark, if you want to add anything, go ahead, and if not, I'll read on. Um, Have you read past verse 10? 
That's what I'm looking and see. Uh, I read through uh, verse 11, into verse 11. Okay. All right. Well, let me con- comment real briefly on verse 11. Um, first of all, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to Elohim. That would have been Yeshua. Um, Yeshua and and uh, Isaiah are they're like they're like good buddies. Okay, <laughs> they're all well. Same root together. word anyway. Hashem, go ahead. Same root word there. Yeshe Yahu is is Isaiah. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, Yahshua. I mean, his salvation of Yah or salvation is of Yah. I mean, it's it's essentially a tautology. The prophet is speaking right. of exactly what his mission yes, was. It's basically, it's, it's just the, the roots are flopped a little bit. That's all. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, you're exactly right. And, he's, and, and Isaiah is a, is a great, great uh, forerunner of the Messiah, too. I mean, the, the, his heart was just so good. Anyway, um, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to Elohim. That was about Yeshua. Uh, here's what we have, uh, what I have rather, on Hashem. When your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see the shame that your zeal for the people, the fire which shall devour your enemies, in verse 11 of Isaiah. Uh, when suffering comes upon the wicked, they do not think that it comes from your hands. But they will see that if your hand, and we're talking about Yah's hand now, at the time of salvation, when you avenge your people and save them, they will be ashamed because then they will not be able to say it is a chance because they will see how a tiny people are saved from many nations. Okay, and that is going to be believers (laughs) worldwide. Okay, mm-hmm. there, there, are, there are so few believers in so, so many places that uh, they're, they're, they're like on their own. There's nothing that they can do. If they, have, if they have a copy of the scripture, they might be able to read it. But they'll have to hide it in places like Ukraine. They'll have to hide it in places like uh, Washington, uh, D.C. Saudi. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. What? Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. Actually, you can still carry a Bible there, but you're going to be looked at real funny. Well, and, and the only time you carry it if you're certain kinds of people like Bill Clinton is if you know you're going to be indicted. I remember joking about that years ago. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Washington, D.C. is, uh, is a, uh, an upright place. It definitely is not. Okay? I mean, it's... It's so crooked. It's more. It's cro- more crooked than a uh, dog's hind leg, really and truly. Um, there, there's just there's there's no way to to see any kind of goodness coming out of there um, for almost anything. Yeah. Well, anymore. what I was really doing was just emphasizing you know, your point, last, MP. Uh, Fifteen, twenty years, we have had nothing but nothing but uh, rascally rabbits, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. When you said rascally, I, 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 my my mind immediately went to Mary Melodies. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And it's it, it's a it's amazing how how absolutely wicked most of the people in Washington D.C. are. 
you know, and then we get somebody who's not absolutely wicked, but at least has the country at heart, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and everybody turns against him. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm not going to I'm not going to name who it is, but uh, he's if you if you play Pinochle, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> That's what I got on verse 11 anyway. Okay, Ray. We got about five minutes left. I don't know if we'll finish it or not, but we'll uh, we'll get close. Oh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, <clears throat> again, just uh, uh, interestingly, where when it talks about the, the your people, uh, the uh, let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Again, that this speaks to the ultimate uh, realization that the nations and, and people will go through as they begin to see the the, the uh, great works of the Lord um, begin to happen in the earth. I mean, they're out there to be seen all the time right now. Few see them. But when we begin to start talking about uh, events of, of this sort of magnitude, it, it will it will eventually occur to even the uh, uh, the dullest minds that are out there. Oh, maybe there is something to this. And I think then at that point in time, they will be they will be truly be ashamed. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately, uh, many people at that time will still not turn to God because they think, oh, well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Now, I, I mean, I've been this way all my life. I'm not going to turn direction now and and be hypocritical and 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 plead to God. That I have to say is the biggest lie from the pit of hell, uh, because uh, that's <laughs> there. There's not a person uh, on on the earth, with the exception of uh, Yeshua, who is not a hypocrite, who has not made a mistake and turned and gone the other way. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's that's part of this pride thing that keeps people from God is the the fact that they 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 get so wrapped up in the in the notion that they uh, that well I I've always acted this way if I were to change now I I, I would be acting hypocritically uh, that's Obviously. a real false sense of righteous uh, self righteousness if you will rather than say you know what. I I I have been messing up. I need to I need to change my ways. Um, so, for what it's worth, uh, honestly, yeah. Ray, that might be one of a few things I might disagree with you on because I think that when you look at most of the people today that are in positions of power, particularly <clears throat> acting like a <clears throat> hypocrite, is the least of their worries. I mean, literally everything they do is hypocrisy. They'll tell you about democracy while they don't give a damn about what the people say. They'll talk about the rule of law while they rape it. And they'll talk about how we've got to uphold various things, like the RICO statutes, while they go ahead and, uh, you know, hire their lovers and, and commit crimes. I mean, hypocrisy is the tool in trade in what we're seeing for the most part. I wish that was wrong, but it's 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 impossible not to uh, not to think. Wow, yeah. If, if hypocrisy was a uh, uh, wasn't a virtue, they're sure making it one. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't necessarily um, um, <laughs> the, 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 those folks were not necessarily the subject of what I was saying. I, I guess I 
I'm kind of trying to appeal to people to say, hey, if uh, if you if you look into your life and see you've been uh, you've been wrong, it's time to change your direction and not be worried about what 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 you you know what direction you've been going. The, the point is get going the right direction, uh, you know. Uh, and, and I've I've actually had occasions where I've talked to uh, a couple of people that were hurting real bad and this and that. Actually, been on on in a in a deathbed uh, setting with one fellow who was well, you know. I've, I've, I haven't done this my whole life. How could I possibly turn my life over to God now? I'd be a hypocrite if I did that. All I right. said, oh, buddy, please be a hypocrite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> please oh, do yeah. it now because now is your opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I, I won't call you a hypocrite. <laughs> you know, make your make your peace now while you have a chance to do it. And that that was more what I was thinking. Yeah, the, the, the folks that are just evil um, – you know, it, it's 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 interesting. The folks that uh, say that they'd rather be rulers in hell than servants in heaven, because they think the devil's going to give them uh, going to give them a, a big cushy uh, desk down in hell to to rule people from and all that. I don't think they realize that Satan isn't going to be in charge. Then uh. God will be in charge. Then <laughs> I think they I think they they're back in the wrong horse. <laughs> yes, yeah. you know, for, for for what that's worth. Hasatan, <laughs> if he's in if he's in Hades, he's there to suffer. He's not there to rule. That's that's exactly right. And I think some of these folks who Mark is uh, alluding to a lot of the the the, the government fee- people that we see interacting and behaving this way and all of that. I think they have this notion in their head that well, you know, I've cast my lot. I know who I'm throwing in with. Uh, and, and all that, but, but see that, I'm gonna get my reward there. I'm gonna be with the people that think like I do there and all that. I don't think they realize that Satan's not gonna be in charge of that place. And it's gonna probably be a whole lot nastier situation than they would, <laughs> than they would imagine. But. No, I completely I concur on that score. We got just about a minute, and uh, we're at a place where we can, um, we can pick it up next week uh, around verse 10. Um, any last comments, either yeah. either of you guys, before we get out? Uh, or, or summaries? No, not really. Um, other, other, other than it's, it's absolutely wonderful to do this radio program. I really appreciate you uh, off, offering this position to me. What was it, nine or ten years ago? I've, <laughs> I really, really enjoy doing this show. And uh, it and it doesn't seem to matter who the three guys are, except for Mark, you know, Mark Culp. But <laughs> what are you going to do about him? You know what I mean? But uh, it, it really doesn't make any difference. I really like having this ability to uh, to have our iron sharpen our iron. You know what I mean? You guys. Well, so you guys have both been like having you. You guys have both been doing this for years, so. That must make me. I'm not sure if that makes me curly or shimp. <laughs> uh, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure which which one of the other. And there was a third one, and I care uh, that was that. Joe Dorita. Of, pardon me. Joe Dorita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Joe. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just do it this way. We'll say shalom, guys, and we'll pick it up next week and finish up. Thanks, folks.